Just left work, <clears throat> and yeah. it's a, a snowstorm of a kind. It's a yes, not storm. And so I'm I'm rushing from work to get to this parent teacher conference, which uh, we're mm. we're both going through this now. But it's for my my little Max at E seven, and of course it's like ten minutes, and yeah. I rush all the way there to ten minutes, and mm. then and everything's great. Of course, he sure. knows his colors. He can add. That's great. And, uh, now, appropriately I mean, developing for his age. A good one of the reasons I'm a little late though is um, one of the things we do at my new company is we hire doctors. They sort of work with us or mm-hmm. for us. And uh, so the company I'm currently running it was kind of a disaster. The uh, and that's why they brought me in because just some of the infrastructure and some of the managers were a little bit right. having trouble. And this particular doctor, who's very classy, he's exactly what a psychologist should look like. He's got these beautiful suits, big smile, you know, white hair, white beard. Uh-huh. And um, he was finishing up with his claimants or patients, um, but we call them claimants. Right. And he's like, "Oh, can, can I walk you down?" And because he wanted an opportunity to talk to me, and oh. he was just telling me how much better it's been and how right. he feels like he trusts us more now, and to thank me for all, you know. Helping it's interesting out. that he didn't trust his employees prior to you getting there. Well, but, um, uh, he said he was a little bit uh, worried mm. with the way things were being run before. Um, and so... You call them clients because there's no uh, doctor-patient relationship. Right, it's a claimant. Uh, yeah, right? claimant. No doctor-patient relationship no. expressed or implied. So No, it's a, and it's not a doctor visit. It's an, a medical exam. Right. It's independent. So let's not bore everyone completely to death, <laughs> but... Uh, that was the most exciting thing I've heard today. <laughs> Definitely edit that one. <laughs> and we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you yeah. today on RMA. This week, we ask ourselves why we treat addiction so voraciously. But voraciously. To, <laughs> hungrily, in fact. Hungrily, but tend to ignore or undertreat the underlying issues of our addictions and how post-traumatic stress haunts us as we strive each day for a better life and recovery. All this and more today on a very special edition of RMA. Hey. You see, I've got this senior a, edition. Yes. Yeah. You did a very good job of taking a whole bunch of disparate thought threads and weaving them together into a carpet because... It was good, right? Yeah. You get to pull it together, and that's part of what I do on today on RMA. I'm trying to encapsulate the journey we're about to take the monsters on. Wow. I, it's, okay. So this episode is brought to you by Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. You're just uh, exhausted by me, aren't you? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, we'll just get there. generally exhausted. And yep. weirded out that we're, this is, we, this is, keeps getting moving back earlier in the week. Yeah. Every, you know, we started this on a Friday yeah. morning, you know, we had a little Friday morning thing and then we skipped to the Thursday night and now here we are in Castle Grayskull. Castle Grayskull Studios. On uh, a Wednesday on on um, yeah. hump day, I was this close, and I'm I'm making a little little tiny thingy here. That, this close to saying, Mike, I can't do it tonight. Really? And then, uh, 
Well, just because I was so, I'm so spent. I know, me too. And um, and then I'm like, and I got to go to this parent teacher thing, and I'm like, how am I going to go perform for all the monsters right now and, and give them my all? But I thought better of it, and I said, the show must go on. The show is going on. And, Listen, uh, if I could do it last week when I was barely conscious, yeah, and how you doing? hacking uh, much better. Yeah, but yeah. now, Erin Aaron, Aaron is sick. Oh. And uh, hopefully she didn't breathe on you too much. No, not much. No. Uh and Jack's still getting over his cold too. But um, did you know, Nat, that mm. we are a listener-supported, community-based recovery podcast? That's what I'm told. Yes, and uh, in order to support your community-based listener-supported podcast, you should head on over to the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. All right, and subscribe. What is Patreon? Well, you guys know what Patreon is because you hear us talk about it every week. It's a members-only subscription service. Mm. And um, there's private messages, there's chat, there's a video meeting platform. Wait, I can get, if I join Patreon and load up the Discord inner sanctum, yes. can I message you directly? Like You can try. Really? And you'll answer, <laughs> right? Uh, it depends. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, uh, yes. I mean, of course. I mean, cool. It, you give us a couple of dollars, you get a couple extra goodies. Sometimes, if I'm not hearing from you on text, I will go to the Discord server and I'll see you posting. I'm something usually and, around there, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, Discord's a little annoying though because it's been making me re-sign in on the computer like every time. That's and then not I have helping. To scan a QR code. And it's, uh, that's not helping sell it. <laughs> it's very easy. It's me. easy for you guys, but because I think it, they make it more <laughs> difficult for us because it's our Discord could server. Be. It could be. Um, Anyway, go over there, check it out. You know, uh, where is it? It's at Recovery in the Middle Ages. It's patreon.com uh-huh. slash right. Recovery in the Middle Ages, one word. Very good. To learn more and to sign up. And some of our um, earliest patrons, Patreon, patrons, patrons. patrons. Yeah, because Patreon is not a real word, it's a word that was made up in Silicon Valley. Right. But patron is, in fact, a word upon which the word Patreon is based. I see. Okay. So, uh, some of our earliest patrons today received in the mail. They got it? Their mug. Yes. Have you, I, I take it you've not been on Discord T- today. Today, I haven't, I usually get there at night when I get home and I try and catch up with all you guys. Our, uh, our friend Rob from the UK was, uh, was waving his mug around. That's so, so cool. Does it look, <laughs> does he know that my 11 year old son designed it? I don't think so. It oh. looks like, you know, Does with it all look due like- respect to your 11-year-old, it looks like it was designed by someone who was at least 25. At least 25. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, awesome. You get a mug after three months if you if you join at a certain level. I forget which level it is. Uh, but- Friar Tuck and Golden Circle get a mug after three months. And um, What do the other people get? Inner Sanctum gets a really cool sticker with our, our Was that also designed by your 11-year-old? Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. All right. Cool. Pretty cool. Cool. Um so that it's, reminds it's me your turn yeah i just wanted to say mike welcome <laughs> to all the monsters listening stateside around the world down the street across the table and right next door welcome all settle in buckle up and get ready for excitement comedy tragedy intrigue mystery and so much more uh where can they find us mike Oh, you can find us at middleagesrecovery.com. You can right. find us on Podbean and the Apple Podcast app, YouTube, mm-hmm. Spotify, and more. Come hang out with us. Get some show updates. Yep. Meet other monsters. Please. I uh, I post funny memes 
I think I dropped a good one yesterday about the check engine light coming on when you're in your 50s or something. Yeah. Uh, the latest news. What news? Oh, right. Recovery yeah. news and views. News on, and views. It rhymes. Right, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so forth. So, mm-hmm. um, And don't forget our uh, our re- weekly RMA recovery meetings. You remember those, Nat? You used to come to those. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> we are the, the meetings were great, though. I love them. I miss all the monksters that I saw in there. And... Um, we're going to do more so that because not everybody can make right 1130 including us a.m. Eastern time. <laughs> it tends to be in the middle of the day on a on a, a Sunday. And actually, I have made a Lenten commitment to uh, take the kids to church every Sunday during this season of uh, atonement. Mm. Or did you know that the word atone um, can also mean at one moment like at atonement at one mint have you ever heard that and huh. ever heard anybody riff on it like that no my, I like my it. old zen master used to do it and then i heard evan haynes do it in an interview i was re-listening to an interview with him right uh, evan haynes is coming on he show. was supposed to be this week guys but uh we pushed it back. shit happens you know so it's pushback so hopefully next week you'll get to hear from evan and uh you know he has that incredible book that he wrote called can america recover yeah, we plug it every week, and we, we can, yeah. <laughs> so he's getting the benefit of us he uh, he continuing is. to read this. So I know at least one monster has gone and picked up the book. All right, I think it was was it Corey? Maybe I think I so. Know. Yeah, he's a good reader. Anyway, I, I'm interested to hear what he thinks of the book and the episode. So stay tuned for that next week. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, you can tell us your story. We've gotten sort of a um, a falling off of the stories. I guess we got most people's stories who are regular. It's possible communicators. It's possible I haven't checked because now the stories go into a database on the WordPress. And oh shit! I may not have checked it recently. So maybe you have sent us your story. If you have, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm sorry. We will read it on the air. I'm gonna as soon check as, as soon as Nat gets over the hump. Or send us a an new email. job. Or yeah, email. send an email to Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. I have to stand up because my back is yeah, weird I, and tweaked. I'm feeling like I'm having middle age. I know. Issues. Um, yes, or you can call the RMA hotline. I know we haven't gotten any messages on there. That's 516-888-6297. Leave us a message. Tell us a joke. We love it when you use your finger uh, and, <laughs> and dial. Um, yeah, just say hello or tell us how much the show means to you. Massage our delicate egos, mm. so forth. Yes. And so on. Milk, um, milk it. Yeah. Also, Great reviews. If you were to go over to the Apple Podcast app and give us a review, uh, it will be read on the air. And this week, we have a very special review because it's actually the second review, I think, written by the same person. It is? I think it is. I think... All right. Well, go ahead. You read it, and I'll tell you why I think that. The um, the t- the um, title is Real Life Discussion, and it's from GMC66. Five stars. I am really enjoying and learning about recovery from this podcast. The two men, that's us, tell stories about their past experiences and go in-depth about recovery methods. So far, my favorite episode has been about MAT with one of the guys' mother-in-law. This is the second yes. review that uh, yes, yes. cites. We should get her back on. Um, I almost got her for this one, actually. we might, uh, you know, uh, She was knowledgeable and easy to listen to. I also know... I, I also like how there's a wee bit of humor uh, with Very, it. very wee. <laughs> Lessening the message uh, or going on too long. Um, <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know. Bravo, middle-aged guys. P.S. The episode about all those workers returning with addictions after the pandemic was very thought-provoking. Maybe hmm. that's why so many people haven't returned to work. Update. Still, They're all sitting at home drunk? 
the, well now <laughs> he, I, he writes updates so i don't know if he wrote i think he, this is the second part oh, can I you see. amend an old review i don't even know i'm not sure um he says anyway. update still listening i'm about to meet in the middle of episodes working my way from oldest forward and then uh from new backwards as i'm typing this you are discussing gwyneth paltrow's vagina candle <laughs> but i digressed bottom line i learn a lot from this podcast i get educated in an entertaining way about some very serious topics thank you so much it's a nice review yeah Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina is the gift that keeps on giving. Yes. I, I don't even remember when we discussed that. but um, <laughs> It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Because she has a candle shaped like her vagina. It's shaped like the vagina? Or it smells like her vagina. I forget. Oy. Oy people buy that. They do. Some people. <laughs> Who are these people? I don't know. Who uh, are these people? I would not. If I made such a product, right? Say I yeah. made a, a candle out of my penis. Who would I think would be buying that? The, your neighbor with the <laughs> Trump flag next to like, You think he would? <laughs> <laughs> He's probably already got one. But uh, uh, I, it's just like, what goes through your mind, Gwyneth Paltrow's mind, when she's like, let me take a cast vagina and make it into a candle because somebody might want that. Well, um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, we can get her on the show and talk about it. I think we should. It. We should ask her about it. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I don't uh, I don't. But uh, you, but you digress. I, I really do. Um, hey, did you get a call from an old friend? We used to be real close. And then what happened? Um, that was a Billy Joel line. Oh, it was. Yes, we opened with uh, moving, moving out. Moving out. Got a call from an old friend. We used to be real close. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I couldn't go out the American. Anyway, uh, yes. So I'm going to call him Tommy because yeah. So Tommy called name. you, and he was what? He was uh, feeling sober and happy. Well, or? Uh, let me let me set this up a little set, bit. Set the table. So this is a guy that I go way back to my nascent, you know, post adolescent years when I first showed up at college, all bright eyed and bushy tailed, and he was a year ahead of me. Uh, and he he was a guitar slinger, and he played like Keith Richards, and he uh, he and his his buddies had a band and they would play outside one of the dorms and you know, he had the low slung guitar and the dangling cigarette. And I just thought he was the coolest guy ever. Right. So we got, you know, we became friends over the years and we used to play guitar together. And when, after Jerry Garcia died in 95, he was like one of the only people that wanted to rent out like rehearsal studio in Manhattan and just play dead tunes for a few hours, you know, smoke, oh, that's smoke cool. a bunch of weed. I used know. to do that with my bands. We'd rent yeah, a rehearsal. Yeah, you just rent a rehearsal. Yeah, it's a big party. You get a PA. Yeah. You, get your, yeah. you know, hopefully you can grab a drummer, you know, hard to find, but yeah. at least they were then. Anyway, so Tommy over the years, um, he'd always been sort of a, an aficionado of drugs. You know, but not, but like mostly psychedelics mm -hmm. and weed, and he used to drink a lot. And um, there was a gap where I didn't see him much. You know, I saw him around the time my my first wife's funeral, and then I didn't see him for a little while. And then in like 2017, I got uh, I won some tickets to go see Dead and Company show. Dead and Company is the band that sort of with Bob Weir and the two right. drummers from the Dead, and John Mayer plays the guitar with them, right? So um, they did a free show. I won a lottery. I got tickets. Aaron was like, I just went to see Dead and Company with you last week. I'm not going to go again. Why don't you find somebody to go? So Tom, I take Tom. Um, yeah, right. More editing. 
So I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. So we get together and we have a beer or two and then things start to get weird. Um, you know, I'm long past the days when I'm going to walk around Madison Square Garden going, who's got doses? Who's got doses? You know, like, cause it's like, you know, I lose my law license. I'll go to jail. I will lose my children. You know, that kind of thing. It's not good. You know, I, I'm, ha- I was happy to throw back like 10 whiskeys, yeah. whatever, but you know, he just kind of, there was something broken in his brain and he, he ended up finding somebody that sold him like a bunch of mushrooms, a wow. bunch of acid, a couple of pills of in, undetermined origin. <laughs> so random, pills. you know, and I actually remember I was texting Aaron at the time. I'm like, Tommy's going off his rocker, you know, and I sent her a picture and he's doing like this deal, uh, you know, right out in the open, you know, and how long ago is this 2017? So wow. it's, we're not talking about like ancient history no. here. This is like six <laughs> years ago. Like the mark I know. And I'm like, oh. I'm all like freaked out because I'm just like, I just want to go in and see the show, you know? Yeah. And, um, so he gets, he takes, not only does he buy all these drugs, he takes them all. It was like three hits of acid, a bag of mushrooms. Oh he had all this weed and, and then we'd start drinking. Right. So now I have a guy with me who is completely out of control on psychedelics. Ugh. He's wasted off his face on whiskey. And because I like won some good tickets, we had like our own private bar that we could go to in the garden. So, which was great for me because I was running back there every 10 minutes, you know. And, and it was probably the whiskey that really put things over. Too. Yes. He, he ended up sort of freaking out in the middle of the second set. Or like he'd be standing on the floor and it would be a really quiet song, you know, and everybody else would be just sort of standing there and then he'd be like you know what i mean like completely (laughs) tripped out on another planet and then uh before the end of the second set he just ran out of the garden like basically screaming you know (laughs) and um and i hadn't seen him since wow until until i got a phone call from him last saturday night well what was that like well uh he called me up and the first thing he wanted to do was apologize for freaking out at the show. No kidding. Yes. He's been thinking about it. He's been it thinking about it. Time. And it's like made him not call me and stuff. But wow. he also told me that he took so many drugs that night that it took him like a, a year to get his head back to- wait, <laughs> together. Wait, wait, wait. One question before yes. you go on. Mm-hmm. So after he ran out freaking out, yeah. you were still at the concert? Yeah, I waited until the encore. I hopped the Long Island Railroad and came back home. And, and you didn't like talk to him the next day? I mean, uh, I. I I like, think I remember you, trying to call him and I got no response. And so you just gave and up. I, yeah, basically? I was oh, just wow. like, well, you know, <laughs> I, you know, honestly, interesting. I, I was a little pissed because, yeah. you know, I He's was your wingman. Yeah, but I mean, hanging out and he freaks yeah. out on acid. Well, it, <laughs> I come come to find out that he ended up hopping a turnstile in front of a bunch of cops oh. and then like running into the subway system and then getting lost and then ending up. He lives in. Jersey he ended up back in Jersey and oh my God. you know he had a, he had a, a heck of a night and I but anyway so this is a long uh, sort of intro to say that he calls me for the first time since that night on Friday and I see the, the, his name come up on my phone and I'm like that can't be the same guy right. I'm like I thought he you know like lost his mind and you know God knows what happened to him but um, so then he then he texts me a picture of himself playing a dead song on a guitar and sends it to me. And so I recorded uh, the other half of the song and I sent it back to him. And then I called him because I'm like, you know what? Oh, you just did that? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm like, um, but, but as soon as he picked up the phone and started talking, I realized like, 
that maybe his psychedelic experience was still going on. Oh, man. <laughs> or it had been re-upped, let's say. I don't uh, think that... Does that, that happen where you can, like, trip for... I used to, like, freak I mean, out about that. I'm kind of joking about it, because I think what happened is maybe he took some mushrooms or he smoked a lot of really... Yeah. intense weed and then called me and he, and he was drunk and yeah. so because you texted me that i forget why i was i thought he i totally thought he was tripping because he you wasn't said, i'm talking sense. to my friend i haven't and he's on acid or he's tripping his face off and i'm like what yeah <laughs> what are you talking about and uh so we actually we talked for an hour which is like and and i'll be honest with you like this was probably the first time since i got sober where i had a conversation with one of my old friends who is still like out there out there doing the same stuff and not only that but he was really wasted like but i mean even at his most wasted he was always a very gregarious guy a very nice guy very compassionate and kind and empathetic person what's his life like these days did you catch up yeah i I caught up he's not is he married no never married working never had a career really no how do you do that um i think he had some mental health issues that maybe you ended him up with an SSI, oh, you know, yeah. um, which I'm sure that, and, I, and I'm actually, I'm fairly certain I know what some of them are. And, and I will, would, would have to say that they probably are exacerbated by acid, marijuana, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, all that sort of thing. Um, but, but that was, it was a very odd experience because um, I didn't tell him that I wasn't drinking or smoking pot or anything like it just didn't come up huh it, he didn't ask you didn't say hey i'm uh, sober these days no no i just should listen to my because podcast. you know i it was very interesting to sort of go down memory lane like that you know and sort of experience that lifestyle that i no longer live through somebody else who's living still living it was that the same time you just posted a picture on the inner sanctum of 20 you, yeah uh, <laughs> with the beer Right, uh, that was wine. Wine, yeah. And is that around the same time? That's, yeah, probably that's Mike from back then. Right, huh. yeah. And that was, you know, I was not. I was kind of at the end of my rope at that point. You know, you could see it in your eyes. That yeah, sort of. I was not a happy camper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't remember taking that picture. That picture just popped up on my. Apple has such a lovely way of drawing <laughs> pictures from your past and throwing them in front of your they face every just day. Say, like, remember this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Remember when you remember, you remember when your life was completely yeah. falling apart? <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was that was kind of a strange thing. I mean, you know, it, I found myself idolizing the past a little bit at some point, thinking like, you know, this is like, um, you know, because as crazy as that night was, you know, last time we hung out. I mean, to me, that was always part of the appeal of, of like drinking or using or something. It's like you go out and anything could happen, right? The, yeah. The night is pregnant with possibilities. Right. You know? But now I don't like the idea. Yeah, no, now the idea terrifies the me. The idea of anything could happen. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want anything but to I used happen. To, but I used to love yeah. it. Yep. You know, I used to live for that. That excitement. You know? I remember every time I would like drive towards in the direction of New York City and I'd come over the hill but right before I hit the Midtown Tunnel and the lights would all like flip on in the city. I'd be like, yeah, baby. You know, and I knew. <laughs> I wasn't going to get home till like, you know, six o'clock in the morning because like adventure awaits. Adventure, yeah. And that was, that's so that's why I think like people who try and quit when they're young have such a hard time a lot of times because, you know, they haven't done all that stuff. Like you and I have now done it all. Yeah, that's true. What's left to do? How much, how much more, how much more deeply can we mine that? 
yeah. that vein of, of, of experience, you know? That's why it's so hard, like, when I've been in different rehabs and things, anytime I would meet uh, a young person, you know, compared to me, I, I used to think, like, yeah, if I were in my 20s and I found myself in, like, a court-mandated rehab, mm. would it have been possible for, or, you know, would I have been, because I remember feeling that way. Like, I have so much yet I want to try. Yeah. You know, and um, so it always amazes me when someone gets sober at 18 or something like that. The mind trick, though, is like, really the only thing that you're trying to hold on to there is experiences to have while you're, you're wasted, which half of the time you won't remember anyway. Yeah. You know, like when I think about it, I had all these great nights that I, I remember going out and having a good time, but that's all I remember. I don't remember mm. what I talked to anybody about for six hours in a bar. I don't remember any of that shit. I know? remember some of the stuff like. I remember I, the dead shows. I remember some stuff like <laughs> when I was doing like uh, any kind of upper, um, I would like record music and I would just do it and mm. then I would mm-hmm. focus on like you know, putting together some crazy, you know what, maybe I'll post, I still have recordings of some of those crazy songs, you know, where it would start out techno, then it would go to like Spanish music, then it would be heavy metal, back to (laughs) techno, literally in one song, a little bit of jazz. Sounds Um, great. It's, I have that, I will send you that exact track, but, so I have some memories like that, but most of the time, yeah, it's, unless it's something horrible, you know. Unless something really terrible or really good happened. Right? Yeah, and nothing really good ever happens. No, it's like night after night of sitting on the same yeah. bar stool talking to, to people that random people that you meet, and and it's fun at the time, you know. But you know, then the co- the, the, the the cost, the hangovers, they got worse and worse as time went on. So I, anyway, I hang up the phone with with him, and uh, you know, it just kind of left me in a weird place. I told yeah. I told Aaron about it. I'm like, I said, I don't really know how to feel how to feel about that phone call because, like, you know, I feel bad that he's. You know, still like, you know, eventually when the conversation died down, his next, you know, he tried to keep it alive by going, uh, I bought a new bong. You know, I'm like, I'm <laughs> really? like, yeah. Is he and in I his was, 50s? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good and I was him. like, okay, I was like, awesome. Like you man. finally you did know? it. You know? I mean, but I, I, I should make it seem like the guy's got no life. I mean, he's, you know, he ride, he, he's really into bike riding. He rides his bike like 4,000 miles a year. He wants to do the Appalachian Trail and stuff. But it's, it's, it's again, it's like a lot of like, plans and things that you want that he wants to do, do right or what people used know? to say when i get sober i'm gonna do x y and z or one right. of these days i'm gonna do this that and the other um i try and really not uh judge people like i, yes, I tend I'm to not do ju- that too i'm not judging so maybe him that's that's, I, that's, that's right for him yeah. or something exactly yeah. like i don't want to i don't want to seem like i'm being judgmental of that uh, life but you style. know how much better your life is now and yes. you just want that for your friends i do i want that know? for everybody you know and and that's the I don't know. That was that was a long story, but um, it was you know it was what it was. And um, you, you're back on this motorcycle, yeah. uh, Monsters. Please join me in begging Mike to stop riding a motorcycle. Can we do that? Why do you want me it's to stop riding my motorcycle? Dangerous. What if you not that fall down? You know. Yeah. What if I get hit by lightning? What if I? Get hit by a car crossing the street. Motorcycles are dangerous, and yes. I don't like the idea of my podcast partner, recovery partner, risking his life just to, I don't know, feel the wind in your hair. I mean, well, I wear a helmet. What? <laughs> you so can't even no. feel the wind. So I can't. I feel ex- the wind on my face. Explain to me what is it that you get out of taking your life in your hands? Well, I don't look at it that way. Obviously, <laughs> uh, what I what I get out of it is I get to I get to ride. Mm-hmm. motorcycle through these beautiful streets 
Can't where we live that? on the North Shore, can't you do it Long with a, Island, next a, to a bay? What about a bicycle? Yeah, I suppose I could. I could ride a bicycle. Well, and I can. I can cover all this ground and these winding country roads. Mm, and let me tell you, it is the most like meditative because it it reminds me of scuba diving. Mm. That's how I can. Is it because you're isolated in your own mind and you're sort of like in another world? You cannot you can, allow your attention to wander. You have to be completely in the moment. You, have to you be are present. in a. You are in a flow state. When you were riding a motorcycle. You're going to be in a dead state if you keep this up. And then what am I going to do? Listen, I if I exceed 40 miles an hour, mm. it's, it's a fast day right, for well, me. I'll allow know. this uh, for a little bit. Okay, thank you very much. Um, uh, I had a pretty exciting... Uh, yeah, speaking of events at Madison Square Garden, didn't yeah, so, you have one recently? Yeah, so recently my son Max, who is seven... Um, has been watching professional wrestling. I've been <laughs> just of his own volition. Well, <laughs> I used to be a big wrestling fan. It's one of those guilty pleasures that I'm embarrassed to admit that uh, I enjoy in uh-huh. any sense of the word. But it had been a long time, and I was trying to coax him into watching, you know, some TV with me because now these days, like our parents are like, stop with the TV. Yeah. Now I'm like, please, please watch, watch TV. TV. I please know. Please watch TV because otherwise, get your head out of that Oculus, and you yeah. know. So I was like, maybe he'll like wrestling. Maybe this is something we can share together you know yeah and uh and i didn't know any of the storylines of the wrestlers because it had been like i don't know 25 years and we started to watch it and i watched a change in him he mm. like really enjoyed it <laughs> he see and, like a light come on inside yeah. of him and it was like oh he wants to watch this with me you know and so i started getting into it every time it came up the next week it was monday or friday there's there's two like times you can watch it and uh, I was like, I make an event out of it. And so now it's been a Daddy and Max thing. Nice. Watching wrestling. And my wife thinks it's hilarious. And he even made signs for his favorite wrestlers, like, to hold up. Nice. And so uh, I had been doing a lot of stuff with my older son, Noah, where we would go for the last few Sundays in a row to the board game cafe. Mm. And we've been really getting into Pokemon because I am a nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been really enjoying spending the time with him. It's outside of his computer. We go to this really cool gaming well, cool gaming store where there's board games and right. Magic the Gathering and uh, Pokemon and stuff. And they have food and I get a grilled cheese and it, it's awesome. But yeah. I hadn't been doing something like that with Max. So he was asking me, like, Daddy, when can we go see these wrestlers? Like, when can we do this? And uh, it was about a month ago I mm-hmm. saw that um, it was uh, WWE was coming to Madison Square Garden, which, if you don't know, uh, is a quick train ride, usually a quick train ride from <laughs> Hicksville. On a, on a good day. On a good yeah. day, but it gets worse. So I got these great tickets for him. We built it up all week, and it was such a great time. Uh, we had the best time, and like he couldn't believe what it was like to see these wrestlers, these superheroes in person. <laughs> um, but it was also his first time going into the city, I think, on a train. Mm. Uh, at least he thought it was. I couldn't remember if we. I think we drove in to go to the uh, museum. In any case, so I made this big deal about we're going on a train, we're going to New York City. So we show up at the train station, Hicksville. Yeah, and. Uh, I go to get go up the um, the escalator, <laughs> and it's roped off. Yeah, and I said, <clears throat> I said, "Huh, I've never seen that before. Maybe they're working on it. Maybe I have to go around the corner and go <laughs> upstairs." And I didn't see a way up to the platform. And Max is like, "Well, what's going on, Daddy?" And I said, "Oh, don't worry. I've been going to this train station for thirty years. It's always on time." 
no problem, right? <laughs> so I go inside to the ticket window and I innocently ask, hey, uh, is there a way, you know, that I can get upstairs to the train? I noticed it's closed. The guy just said, uh, he pointed, and I looked to my right, and there was a bus. Yes, yes. They're doing track work. So right. my first time, and this is late, too, for, for Max. You know, it's uh, 6, 6.07. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a late night. So we had to take a bus to Mineola Station uh, from Mineola into the city. Yeah. And uh, all I could think about the whole time was, I'm going to have to do this tonight. Yes. Um, so Awful. You know what, though? We made the best of it. He's got such a great attitude. Mm -hmm. And I just turned it into one of the best nights, you know, that we've had together. And he said lots of cute things. Like, he was looking around at the people cheering. And he couldn't believe all the energy in the room for this ridiculousness, you know. Right, and right. And he said, Daddy. And I was like, what, Max? And he goes... I can't believe I'm breathing the same air as these wrestlers. <laughs> he actually said that. That's so funny. And uh, it was great, though. We had, to, I mean, I love the pure, uh, ridiculous absurdity uh, of wrestling. And they don't take themselves seriously like they used to in the 80s. It's all very tongue-in-cheek. It's very cheek. campy now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like campy over the Who, top. Is the audience still relatively the same as it was in the 80s? No. The audience these days is kids, their parents, and then 20-somethings who are way into it. Okay. But there wasn't a lot of drinking. Right. And That's again, strange. It, I mean, I didn't <laughs> see it. The guy next to me kept getting beers, but he only had one, and he didn't get yeah. drunk. I mean, most people were there with their kids, and uh, it was right. a very civilized... My, that's what my wife was asking. <laughs> civilized. Actually, my father, because he, he despises wrestling. When I was a child, I used to love wrestling, and yeah. all I wanted was my dad to take me to one of these things. And, right. Uh, it, he's just... It's complete goes against everything he believes in. <laughs> they would take me to the opera. I would go to... Uh, <clears throat> like, I went to the Metropolitan Opera... By the time I was, you know, eight more times than, you know, I'd been to wrestling because that was zero. But um, so I said, I'm going to be a different kind of dad. I'm not going to be a snob. I'm going to take my son to wrestling We're going and to not wrestling. the opera. Right. Right. Fuck the opera. Fuck I'm not doing opera. that. Who wants to see that? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but it was a really great time. And, uh, you know, being at Massive Square Garden, you know, and I've said this before, but... I didn't even think about having a drink. It didn't right. cross my mind. Yeah, it's out of your, um, it's out of your frame of reference. Did you have to take the bus home? Yeah. We Ugh. had to take the train, and then we had to decide, like, okay, there's a 10.30 train and an 11.30 train. That's always the choice at the garden. And uh, I had to take the 10.30 because it was an hour and 20 because right. of the bus. So mm -hmm. we got home at midnight. And so did you have to leave a little early? Yeah. That, that happened to me, too. So whenever a band plays there that has an opening act, I'm always pissed because... Then yeah. I know I'm either I have to get home at like one o'clock in the yeah, morning. It's a nightmare. Why don't they time the trains to the events? It's ridiculous. Well, I'll talk to uh, I'll talk to Charles Dolan and uh, see if he can <laughs> yeah, do something good, about that. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> so, do, that do you, do you that. still bury a, a grudge against your dad for not taking you to wrestling when you were a kid? Why does it seem that way? No, well, I uh, you know, but no, you my, know, we're going to be talking about the sliding scale of trauma later. Yeah. So I, I just I'm wondering like. Mm. Where that fits in, and if you are harboring a resentment that, uh, you know, and here, because he, from his perspective, he's just trying to steer you away from right. that and expose you to high culture as opposed yeah. to the low culture of men hitting themselves with folding chairs, right. uh, which I also enjoyed in high school for a brief period oh my of time. God, uh, you know, back then, we had uh, Captain Lou Albano yes. and uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker and George. Sergeant Slaughter, Gord yeah, all those guys. So, uh, the Iron Sheik. Speaking of yes. Sergeant Slaughter, as you all know, we haven't heard from him in a bit. Yeah. Sergeant Slaughter, I hope you're doing good. 
Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Do I hold a grudge? Oh, you're just sidestepping the question. Oh no, okay. <laughs> I don't hold a grudge. You know, it, it's what I think they were so. He was so good to me on so many other levels. It right. just wasn't okay. him. You know. Yeah. It wasn't him. But I mean, you know, it's in, it's an interesting. I, I don't mean to like pick at the scale. No, <laughs> too please, much. Please. But um. But it is interesting the conscious choices that you make as a parent to differentiate yourself from your your own parent style because i think people tend to go one of two ways they either mm. embrace the style of their parents and become their parents as parents or they decide to go in a totally different direction well i actually i try and take the middle road ah buddhist I try and the take, middle way you take the good you take the bad you take them both and there you have the facts of life <laughs> jesus you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> I uh, wish I had known. I would have. I would have thrown the, uh, the 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 thing on the board. But speaking uh, of trauma and childhood, did you go to scout camp? <laughs> no, but I'm going to scout camp. Oh, uh, Ben is going to sleepaway boy scout camp. Sleepaway. Yes. For, for how long? For a week. Oh, that's cool. The last time we sent him to a week camp, it was the Dorothy Flint 4-H camp on the North Fork, and it was very cheap, and there was a reason for that. It was, uh, he slept in basically a dilapidated hut, was eaten alive by mosquitoes, and halfway through the week, he sent me a note saying, um, can I come home now? I think I'm getting malaria. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Where is he, this He's one? had this, he's been terrified of like the idea of sleepaway yeah. camp since then. This is, um. New Jersey? No, it's upstate New York. It's called Ten Mile River. Huh. Yeah. But anyway, um, I apparently am an assistant scoutmaster. I saw my name up on a slide yesterday. Well, you've got the outfit. I don't have the outfit. I have the Cub Scout outfit. Oh. I need to get now go get another outfit. Well, we're going to have to get you dressed up. And uh, so as an assistant scoutmaster, that means I also can attend scout camp. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to go sleep in a tent uh, up there. For a week. Well, I'm going for a half week. Okay. He's going to be there for the full week. Are you? That's awesome. I don't know if that's awesome. Oh, it's a little weird. So yeah, yeah, like adult. We camp. have to dress in our uniforms for and fall in for dinner and stuff. It's a little you know? bit larpy. A little military. Yeah, a little exactly. It larpy. is. But I mean, uh, yeah. I kind of wish we were like Civil War reenactors. I kind of <laughs> that would be cool. I kind of wish I was coming. Listen, you can become an assistant. Just get Noah back into scouting. We used to talk about that when uh, before we knew each other very. Actually, we used to say like I was going to get my training because uh, Mike and I used to sort of co-lead uh, a debt, which was mostly Mike doing it. <laughs> I, we only I did want, it for a few months. I wanted too, to. So. I wanted to. Yeah, I mean that was tough. It was during COVID. We did yeah. that anyway. Uh, sorry, but uh, yeah. So that's um, we. I had to. I'm sort of pushing Ben along into scouting because I don't want him constantly stuck on yeah. the computer or in the Oculus or any of this stuff. And he really doesn't have any other hobbies. So, well, th that's sort of the trick, you know, when you don't have a kid who is a traditional sport kid, like, you know, my, yeah. my son, Noah, you know, he probably, he is athletic, but he just doesn't care. Right. So, you know, steering him in directions, scouting just didn't, he didn't like it. He didn't go for it. And boy scouts, you have to really want it because yeah. it's, it gets serious. That's you true. can't just be, you know, how Noah's kind of flippant and whatever. Right. Yeah. You got to do the work. You got to be into it. And he's doing Code Ninjas, which is like a kid's um, coding uh, yeah, that's school awesome. after school. As long as he has something, you know? Well, yeah, that's it. And, you know, I'm not making him feel bad about not playing sports, even though uh, I'd like him to. I don't know. Maybe I don't care. Um, <laughs> Did you have 
dinner with Joe the fireman? Yeah, so um, I, I had a very busy, very... It was a nice weekend, but it wasn't filled with rest. Yes. I haven't been getting a lot of rest. Um, as you know, I haven't been able to make the uh, RMA um, recovery meetings because uh, I'm on the board of deacons at my church, and I volunteer for everything, or I get volunteered, and we have a, <laughs> a long-range planning committee that meets just after church at around 11.15. Um, but, you know, this Sunday, uh, and keeping in mind, we didn't get back from wrestling till 12.30, and then I'm up for church at, you know, at churches at 10. Mm. And then um, before we went to dinner with Joe and the fireman, our, my Irish neighbor, uh, Brendan, mm-hmm. uh, invited us to this fancy brunch oh. um, at this really nice steakhouse. They have, uh, it rhymes with Mothman's. Uh, <laughs> People know where we live by now. Yeah. And uh, it was real. I mean, ugh, it was so nice, you know, and uh, we had a really nice uh, brunch and, you know, you get a free alcoholic beverage. Oh. And this was one of my weak points. And Monksters, if you have a favorite brunch beverage, please tell us. Send an email to Mike R at <laughs> middleagedrecovery.com. Because mine was always, you know, you got a mimosa. Right. Or you can have a Bloody Mary. Sure. And my go-to was the Bloody Mary. Me too, because it had more alcohol. In. I Oh, yeah. I liked, I just, I liked the flavor, you know. And, <laughs> a vodka? Uh, or a it's the tomato. <laughs> it was the vodka yeah. with the tomato right. drink. It's a little something for everybody in that drink. And, and it, it sounds stupid, but this was one of those things when I had about a year sober um, that really stuck in my craw. I, you couldn't get a free drink. Well, I could, uh, a Bloody Mary. A Bloody Mary. Mm. And a few times I, I tried to make my own Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. and it didn't go well. But this time I said, and I, I didn't mind at all. I wasn't jealous of my neighbor getting his whatever he likes. And I said, I'll have a Virgin Mary. Ah. And uh, I didn't mind. I don't know. I liked it. It, it did the trick. It it was... Uh, Scratched the, uh, the, the Virgin itch. It is. The, the Mary been, itch. It's been so long since I even tasted vodka that... My taste buds weren't like yearning for that exact flavor, right. you know. You're probably vitamin C deprived, so the yeah. tomato juice tasted great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Was you that know, one of the places where they put like uh, onion rings and all the shit in it, or yeah. is, it, is it just a regular? It was just regular, yeah. but it was nice and horseradish, spicy. And, spicy? And, yes, gotta have a nice spicy. Uh, you know, they Bloody have Mary. lobster. They have lobster clams. Bloody Marys. Uh, you could have put a lobster in it. Oh no, this is. Is there? Is it a buffet? Yeah. No shit. Dude. And they have this every Sunday? Oh, it's so good. I'm going to Dude, to brunch buffet. It's amazing. We should go. We should I'm do like an I'm like a buffet RMA. whore, man. I'll you, do anything for a buffet. I think it's $60 a person, so it's well, kind of okay. pricey. Maybe maybe not then. <laughs> but I think our first corporate meeting of RMA uh, corporate should meet there. Um, but that <laughs> yeah. wasn't the end of my day. I had to go from there uh, to we had dinner with a neighbor. Mm. And the reason I bring this up is because this is sort of a new friend of uh, Max's and we're getting to know these parents type of things. So okay. it's sort of like parent dating. You're trying to, yeah. you know, trying to see if you can make friends with your kids' uh, friends' parents. Mm-hmm. And these people have been really cool. And this is like our first time going over there. Uh, he's a, a fire fireman with the uh, NYFD. Ah, uh, yes, the fire department. And uh, she, City of New York. she's the, a very, uh, she's a social worker. Um, but we got into this discussion because, of course, the topic comes up. What do you want to drink? Ah, and uh, so, and this is that moment, like, am I going to completely reject his offer of, you know, being Yet, friends? I will have no alcohol. No, I said, Nazdrovia. <laughs> and uh, mm. 
he, uh, I shouldn't do that now. But, um, <laughs> Not these days. Sorry. Yeah. So I said, you know, boycott Russian. I said vodka. I haven't had a drink in four and a half years, and um, and he, I got that quizzical look, but he, you know, nodded and said, yeah, okay. And then the question started to come, and I, ha- mm. I started having a conversation with him about it, and yeah. it was funny because he started talking about and his wife about how drunk he gets <laughs> and how at the firehouse, you know, um, it's like, and he's like a the senior guy in the mm. firehouse. And uh, he was talking about, I don't know why he started telling me about all of these times he got so wasted that he had to be carried off, but it was interesting. Well, maybe he's trying to subtly reach out for uh, I, I think help. so. And what I determined after talking to him for a bit, he, he, just, he described this one time where he was at a fireman party of some kind, and it, he got so drunk uh, that his the guys that worked for him carried him it to his house and his wife said don't put him in my house put him in the backyard and that <laughs> he was so wasted he laid out in the backyard and then his wife had the kids draw on him with a sharpie <laughs> things on his forehead that say like lush loser like all this stuff and she was recounting this sounds part. emotionally healthy yeah and uh and then it turned out somehow weed came up and he said, well, you know, I'm actually, I actually like to smoke. I don't really, the only reason I drink is because I can't smoke marijuana. Mm. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, <laughs> like, why don't you just, you could do neither, you know. But it was, it was kind of, <laughs> it was one of those things. See, see that, that doesn't cross the mind, does it? No. You could do neither. You can do neither. It's I like, could do what? So, you know, yeah, I, I could, that, I, you know, I could live life without. You don't need it. A, gauze wrapped around my head yeah and uh so it was interesting i feel like i made some headway i kind of explain i feel like i was explaining my lifestyle to like someone from another country or like i'm from (laughs) that's what it's like being sober from the land of aa yeah like how do you live (laughs) you know and i'm like well it's like this you don't actually have to drink or smoke marijuana what are your friday night customs in your land (laughs) so what do you do all day bo (laughs) so um so that was cool i mean it was nice to get to know him and this guy had an amazing fish tank set up he's one of those people People that like you see it at saltwater. He had this beautiful saltwater oh. fish tank, and you could tell this was a passion of his. Right? Because I was asking him because I don't know much about it, but I asked a little questions here and there, and it turned into this whole thing where he has the filters going. He's like, I cut a hole in the floor, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, so oh, he's I'm, got it all running from. He goes yeah. it, in his basement. Mm. He had right. like. He was growing coral that he then sells. Ah, uh, yes, had sells like, frags. Yep, he's got uh, various tanks. It's all, you know, pipes going to this one. He has an automatic sump pump that, like, he has the whole wow. shit. should and, introduce uh, him to Jack, who's got something similar in his room. Dude, this thing, it made me want to um, go to fish tank, but uh, I could never build there that. There's so. a lot of work, and things die. But, um, I don't know. I had a great weekend. I'm just kind of kind of living through this period of time where things are moving so fast. Mm. You know, everything with my job, which I will not go into detail because it's all I think about. Yeah, you don't um, want to think about that when no. you're not at the job. No, but, uh, you know, I'm trying, I'm starting to slow down. I'm tra- starting to find time for myself and to get back into, like, my Facebook groups with uh, the Monsters and, uh, you know, RMA. It's, and- it's, it's been a really interesting balancing act uh, the last few weeks, hasn't it? I mean, you know, work is sort of uh, accelerating in my end also. I t- I, did I talk about the, I, that I had my annual review? Did we mention that a couple of weeks ago? I don't know if we mentioned it, but how did your annual, annual review it, go? It went very well. Uh, apparently, I'm doing a fantastic job. I knew it. But they're also trying to... Um, Maneuver me into like a management thing, uh-huh. but I don't. I don't think I want it. 
Well, it's more money. I don't even. I don't even think I want to. Is it a raise? Work there anymore? Do they give you a raise <laughs> for management? Oh yeah. All yeah. right. Well, you have to decide. You know, do you want the money so bad that you're willing to basically change your your workload and those things you do? Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of responsibility. I mean, just me taking this. I mean, I've, I've job, scrupulously like, avoided responsibility yeah. for my entire career because I just um, I don't want to hire people. I don't want to fire people. That's, I don't want to have to sit in judgment of other people's it's work product. Not fun. I've no. been doing that for a month. Listen, now. I did it, and I actually did it when I was working in the same industry that you're working in now in 1995. Oh, I, really? It was a much smaller company, but I basically had what I assume your job is hmm. more or less. Right. Um, and I, I hated it. It's, I, it's a nightmare, you know. <laughs> I don't like telling people what to do. I don't you know. Yeah, and I think about that too. I'm like, every day I get home and I'm so stressed and I, it was so crazy. And I think to myself, is it nice to have this paycheck? Of course, but is it worth it, mm. you know? Could I back off, take a couple, like be an Uber driver and work on the, the podcast? And well, maybe- I mean, it doesn't have to be like management, director of operations of a company or Uber driver, yeah, right, because that's kind of where I'm thinking. Like, um, but you know, I, I think about it in terms of sobriety too. Like, um, you know, how much additional pressure do I want to lay on myself, yeah. right? And and how much how healthy is that for my mental health? Because really, and, and this will kind of lead into our discussion here, right? Finally, it's like yeah. you're, you you treat, you know, the 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 way that we go about treating addiction in America is you start off by treating the the addiction right. by treating like the symptom. The symptom drinking. is the use of the of the substance, right? right. It's the, um, but really, it's the underlying anxiety, it's the underlying depression, it's the underlying PTSD mm-hmm. that need to be dealt with in order to make the addiction treatment stick. And people miss that in well, recovery. They, they do, but so so part of that has to be a sort of self knowledge as to what you yourself are capable uh, capable of enduring you know, in terms of your own mental health. Mm-hmm. Now I'm very fine. I'm fine being sober, doing the job that I do now. You know, if I add an extra layer of stress uh, on top of that, like I don't know what that's going to look like to yeah. me. You and, know? and they say, I, I read a study about this, that after a certain amount of money, that you have, you you don't get happier. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> like once you're covering your bills and you're not stressing about taking your wife out to dinner and buying your kids, uh, you know, camp and things like that. Mm-hmm. More than that, doesn't add happiness. That's what I, I guess. I read. But I, I read the same study and it's somewhere around seventy thousand dollars. Well, that so that person yeah. clearly doesn't, doesn't live in New live York. In New York. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Where that's like, you know, you, you'd, you'd be living on the street if you made that money here. Pretty much. Um, um, so, I, I don't know. So, that... You got to think about it. Yeah. You should consult your tandem sponsor. I should. Um, were we going to think about um, going right into the main topic now? Um, I think it's time to go... Or are we going to do the Monsters Speaks? Yes. What they been up to? Let's take a peek at the segment we call Monster Speaks. And admittedly, I rushed to the outline today, so I neglected to even get a good Monster Speak out on the um, on the Facebook group. Um, okay, 
You know how you said you went to the board game cafe? Yeah. And I picked up my phone and you were like, that rude son of a bitch. What is he doing while I'm telling my story about the board game cafe? I was actually oh, texting yes. Ben because he told me a joke today. You were, t- you were um, talking about um, uh, Pokemon, right? Yes. And just today, Ben was like, hey, Dad, did you hear that Pokemon stopped using Pikachu as their mascot and decided to use Gulpin? And I was like... What's gulping? And he goes, gulping D's nuts in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you know Ben at all, right, he's not the kind of kid that just will rip out with something like filthy like that. He's been hanging out with Noah too much. Uh, It's, it's, he's on the, (laughs) I couldn't stop laughing for like five minutes. I'm like, don't tell that to your mother. But (laughs) that's the problem with these jokes that are inappropriate. They also make me laugh. Yes. And from the mouths of babes. But he's, he's on the Oculus all the time with these random people from around the world. And it's all, you know, father of the year. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Where were we? Munster speak. Speak. Oh, wait, no, we don't have to do that again. Okay. Um, Oh, I had it open. Now it just disappeared. Yeah. So uh, usually I'll put a topic out and then collect a lot of responses. But since and we're, we're trying, we were trying to match up the topics with the right. segment this week. Except, but we, got, <laughs> we couldn't really. We got rushed, and um, yeah. I did this kind of last minute. I said, um, you know, where hey monsters, hit, this is a hey monsters, hit me up with a good monster speak topic, um, and that's in the private uh, Facebook group. Oh, and the great Ryan, or Rhina, who, by the way, is um, going to be discharged tomorrow from rehab. Yeah. So, um, congratulations, Ryan. Yeah. Um, I'm going to text you later after the show, and uh, I want to talk to you about your um, about your plan moving forward. I think you're going to do great. Um, we just have to make sure. I told him, you have to treat this period of time after you leave rehab as life or death think of it as a battlefield think about it as you are running through a battlefield to get to safety so and don't forget to wear pants because it's cold in chicago definitely wear pants so um anyway ryan says uh is for one of my uh topic requests he says dealing with hard times in sobriety especially life on life's terms or essentially perhaps uh unconditional sobriety is it a thing or no? And we were going to have Mike just give us like one sentence answers to this. So, go. Um, unconditional sobriety is a thing. That's it. <laughs> well, what does unconditional mean to you? Meaning, it means, okay. Sobriety without conditions. The no matter what club. They used to call this an AA. They'd say, are you in the no matter what club? It means you don't have any reservation in your mind like, oh, if my parents die, I'll definitely use. Or, you know, uh, you know, when I'm old and I'm retired, I'm going to kick back with a bong and listen to the Allman Brothers, like uh, Dopey Dave says. Like, it's one of those reservations. So if you're in that no matter what club, like, you're determined that no matter what happens to you, even if it's the most horrible thing you can think of, you're being sober. Yes. Okay. You have to do that. That's it. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. Uh, Colette says, I really enjoyed watching the Netflix series called Mom. It's a comedy about alcoholism alcoholism, and drug abuse. And the AA meetings are hilarious. The show also has a serious side I can often relate to. I wonder if this is actually what they are like. More insight into AA meetings would be interesting. Is that a topic? To talk about the show, Mom, maybe? No, it's it's about AA meetings, right? Are they int- uh, more insight into AA meetings would be interesting? Yeah. 
Well, you're not going to get that from me. <laughs> um, well, no, I have to say I've been to a lot of AA meetings and they are indeed interesting. The people you meet, the relationships you see. I mean, you could just sit there and watch. But I used to love listening to the speakers uh, more than anything. So, um, yes, uh, AA meetings are interesting. You want to read the next one? I found in long-term sobriety, I changed so much that I started setting up more boundaries, my time, my personal space, family, drinking events. So I guess the topic would be boundaries or finding yourself again or for the first time, maybe. So that was from Lisa D. And uh, this is one of my favorite topics, boundaries. Setting boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries are all about you, not other people's activities, right? Yeah. Like you shouldn't invade someone else's boundaries and like put troops but I mean, on you the ground. Set, you set your boundaries. You shouldn't put troops on the ground over right. someone's boundaries. Right. And try and take over. I see, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> <laughs> boundaries are important. Yeah. It's one of the main things that I work on that I still work on. You know, as a people pleasing codependent, I have to know when to say I'm not comfortable. And I think it's also important to realize that you are setting the boundaries um, yourself, you cannot expect other people are going to know what they are mm. and they may transgress them. And if they do, you have to be prepared to deal with that. So so, you can't expect other people are going to behave in a certain way. Right. I, I had an interesting, most people will behave in a, in a bad way. Right. <laughs> well, I had a really, you know, the, the guy that owns the company I work for now is a psychologist and, uh, somehow we were talking and the topic of boundaries came up. Because I said something like, oh, you know, I'll throw in a couple of little zingers here and there to see if I can get him to talk about like Uh therapy stuff. And I said something like, oh, but I work on boundaries, you know, just trying to tell people, you know, because I'm a people pleaser. And he said, you know what? He said, "Um, when you don't set firm boundaries, Mm. you're not being honest. Mm. And I was like, that is really interesting insight because I'm not being like, someone says, come over right right now. And I don't, and I just say yes. And then I hate it. I wasn't being honest that I wanted to do that. Well, people-pleasing is definitely a negotiation between you and your honesty because you can't... You're right. It's it's a lie if you're doing something that you right. don't want to do just to make somebody else happy. That's right? why he's a psychologist. And so you're living in yeah. a lie. Yeah. Right? So how do you begin to find yourself if you're a people-pleaser? Because, you I mean... To please yourself. Right. Because if you're so busy pleasing all these other people, who is the... Who is the kernel of you inside that that's important? You know, see a little you're, wisdom. You're here. just like uh, you're trying to trying to make everybody else happy, and you can't. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's impossible to do. You can try, but you're not going to be able to do it because you can't always get what you want. But, but some, if you try, sometimes you get what you need. You just might find. <laughs> oh, right. You yeah. get what you need. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Moving on. Um, oh, Chris F says. To disclose or not to disclose? Mm. How honest can we be when there's still a stigma attached to sobriety? Do we try and change it or stay quiet? Should you let uh, Grant answer this one? Grant says, I like that topic. It's something we all grapple with. Sometimes in some social contexts, it can be liberating and empowering to disclose. Some lean into the recovery identity and spin it into a career. (laughs) Uh, who would do that? Mm-hmm. But for obvious reasons, most of us are pretty reluctant to disclose in most situations. My disclosure, comfort, and strategy shift over time and depending on the social context. Mm. Now, is that people-pleasing? 
A Google search will tie me to RMA, to my website, and to my registration as an alcohol and drug tech. But I rely on the fact that most of my coworkers aren't curious curious enough to search. Interesting. I, I agree 100% with Grant. Um, I do not think there is much to be gained by taking that flag out and walking down the street, waving it over your head, saying, I have... Uh, a drinking problem or whatever. And, no. I, and I know that sort of goes against uh, the message from that movie that we reviewed a few weeks ago, um, Anonymous People. Yeah. Where... You should come the, out. The idea is you should come out and you should be very open and very... Because you know, you're, out advocating about it. For, because you're advocating for... you're advocating for... Your people. You know, for the reduction of stigma. Mm. I think in a perfect world, that's a, that's a great idea. But I think in the, the world that we presently live in... Um, I don't really know if that is a good thing for people's careers. It depends, you know, <laughs> you know like one of those things that, you know, as we, this podcast got more popular and, and honestly, uh, it's nobody's business. It, it isn't, but I had to start when I started this podcast, I was very nervous about people finding out about it. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, I used to think about it and obsess about it, but when we started to get more popular and I appeared on a couple of podcasts mm. and, you know, things like that. Um, I just started to almost wish everybody would find out. It was almost like I want people, because you know what? I'm proud of myself. Yes. Um, I get it. Some people won't understand it. They may judge me over it, but I'm almost like, bring it on. You know, ask me about I, it. I feel ask the same me. way, but but then I realized the stigma is so strong yeah. that that might be a, a self-destructive desire be. you're you know? right i mean so it's got to be different for everyone and that was the discussion we had about anonymous people where you're yeah. kind of like you know what everybody doesn't have to come out i um i and i'm kind of i'm grappling with this a little bit because of that conference that i have to go to at the end of the month because yeah. it's going to come up and it's going to come up right in my face because i'm going to be sitting there at a drinking event and people are going to wonder why i'm not drinking when their past experience with me has been that i've been the life of the party. Well, my advice is to nip it in the bud. I'm going to nip it in the bud. And just lay it out. And Would you like to hear what I've been working on? Yeah. All right. Well, let's role play a little bit. Okay. So who would I be like? A coworker or someone? Uh, you would be this uh, attorney from Boston who yeah. likes punk music who you, I used to get shit faced with okay. these things. So this guy, picture the scene here. There's the, uh, the bar. This guy goes and gets two beers, walks over to you and says, Mike... Have a drink with me. I haven't seen you in so long. Here you go, buddy. Here's to you and our relationship as whatever, lawyers having fun. And he goes to hand you the beer. Well, I take the beer. Yeah. I clink, I'll clink it with him, and yeah. then I'll put it down, yeah. and I'll say, hey, man, thanks. Uh, last time I had a beer was over two and a half years ago. Yeah. And, and he's that should say, end and he's gonna, And he'll be like, oh. And then I'll say, yeah, I, I was starting to feel, and, and here's here's the what I've settled on. Um, I started to feel like it was getting away from me a little bit. Mm. So I decided to take a little time off. And that little time off, I ended up feeling so good that I just never went back to it. I like that. And that's it. That's it. I that's like it. it. And if he asks any further, then uh, I will either uh, excuse myself and go to the buffet or, <laughs> or, um, or I'll say, uh, you know, Health reasons. I love like that. that. You know. And what I found is once I disclose that, typically the next step is not mocking me or uh, anything like that. They're usually take that opportunity to say something like, oh, I've had some really, you know, because I'll say something like, uh, you know, I used to drink too much and I don't drink anymore. It used yeah. to be a problem. If sometimes they say that. And um, 
basically they'll usually take that opportunity to say, you know, I've been thinking about quitting drinking mm-hmm. or yeah, that happens to me sometime. I got a DW. You know, people will like start admitting things because right. once they know you're safe yeah. as far as you won't judge them about But then they become intensely curious about yes. what it's like to live a sober lifestyle because the idea is something that they've probably thought about on many occasions, but have never like figured out exactly how to make happen in what, their own. What lives. I usually say is a sober lifestyle is just basically having sex constantly <laughs> like it, it's crazy yeah. the sex never stops mm. i'm gonna uh, try that on my boss uh <laughs> when he asks why i'm not drinking that is the sober lifestyle yeah um okay cool so should we talk about ptsd addiction and continue our discussion of mental health or do we have something else to talk about i first? think i would like to take a break okay and we'll be right back after these words And we're back. We're back. And um, the main topic for this week, I was going to call it PTSD and addiction, but I think, yeah, okay. Let's go with that. (laughs) So we're talking about PTSD and addiction. (laughs) And then you wrote something here. Well, you want to go here? Yeah, because PTSD is like an underlying cause of addiction or it's associated with with addictive behavior, right? Sure. Um, you know, if I have a bone to pick with 12-step, and I have an occasional bone that I pick with Pick your bones. Step, it's that sometimes it gives short shrift to other mental health diagnoses. Um, and there's treatment of the symptom of addiction, the drinking, the using, without getting to the root cause. But that's sort of like taking an Advil for an aneurysm. Right. You know what I mean? Like You can get the headache to go away for a little while, um, but the underlying condition is still like there. It hasn't been healed, which is why some people keep pogoing back in and out, you know? Yeah. Because the underlying thing isn't done. And well, I'm not saying that, you know, the 12 steps isn't a, 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 um, a good way to sort of take a spiritually focused look at your life. I don't know if that's necessarily the right tool to use to treat something as difficult to wrestle with as PTSD or, clinical depression or something like that. Not to mention the fact that, you know, in some 12-step fellowships, uh, they discourage the taking of medication and, um, you know, yeah. things like that. And and and, and it, say, also, it also, you know, like, deifies the person who just simply stops drinking, really, or mm-hmm. stops using. And you don't hear, like, I, I never heard a lot of... You know, you didn't treat the underlying issue in the rooms. I heard it when I was with therapists, when I was with doctors. Yeah. They would say that, but it's not really tackled because there's so much focus on not drinking, not using, that you're like the counting the minutes, you're counting the days, but you're not focusing on how many minutes have I been happy for? Or yeah, like, how right. long have I not like screamed in my sleep and woke up <laughs> sweating, you know? I mean, 12 uh, steps, not therapy, you know, it, no. it's, it's not, it's a design for living as my sponsor used to say. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, it, it's really, it's significant that about 50 to 60% of people who seek substance abuse treatment also meet criteria for the, for PTSD. That's, that's I mean, that's a lot of people. And, uh, 
you know, and people with that co-occurring PTSD and substance abuse disorder have poor treatment outcomes, you know, and people what about, without it. Are you talking about childhood uh, trauma that causes PTSD? Or I, I went through a lot of yes. trauma from my days using. Right. Like, I, I think had it's, trauma from that. I think it's, I think it's both. I think, I, I've been sort of developing in my brain this idea that substance abuse is sort of a maladaptive coping mechanism for um, for trauma. Didn't you get Big that trauma, from small uh, trauma. Dopamine Nation? Was that what that book was about? You know, or no? I don't think it says it so as Gabor. explicitly. That uh, yeah, that's that's like Gabor's main 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 thesis, I, I guess you could say. But I like but, that. But I'm know. changing it. I'm changing my thinking because I don't know if it's necessarily maladaptive. I think it may just be an ada- an adaptation, a natural adaptation to trauma is the idea to, to remove yourself from the traumatic experience, from thinking about it, from the symptoms that arise from having the trauma. I like so that. So who is to say that it's maladaptive, right? No, it's probably completely It's like a survivalist adaptive. instinct. Yes. You know? So I'm, I, and this is something I really want to talk to Evan Haynes about because he's, he could, kind of goes into this you know, a lot, but, um, so, you know, I assume people know what PTSD is. Right, I mean, what is it? Um, well, it, it's a it's a response to trauma, right? Uh, the body. Yeah, there's a, a book out there called "The Body Keeps the Score." Have what you is, ever heard of this? I've book? never heard of. It. What does it stand for? Post traumatic stress disorder. Oh, so it's a, <laughs> a system of bodily responses that arise in response to trauma mm-hmm. that are. Uh, it's like your fight or flight system going haywire would you say it's unwanted things like like my intrusive thoughts that i get so yes something like if you spontaneously became like joyful when something happened you know you wouldn't want to change that but it's these these things that are intrusive that you don't want like like fight or flight when your body just reacts you go into a panic state yes uh, so sort of thing so you encounter stress like a like a trauma right and your sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight system responds, your adrenals get going, all this cortisol gets dumped into your bloodstream, right? Mm -hmm. And you become prepared to either move toward the threat, fighting it, or moving away from the threat, run away from it, or the third choice, disassociation, where you just freeze in the face of trauma. Interesting. Right? So, and then after the parasympathetic nervous system you rest, you digest, you heal. That system is supposed to take over and your body's returned to normal functioning. When you have PTSD, you never return to the parasympathetic system and you're always in this primed for fight or flight or freeze reaction. Hmm. Never fully at rest, always vigilant, distorted perceptions of threat. You know, like hmm. that's why you could, um, you know, a loud bang noise, right? Like I, like after 9-11, uh, you know, I was going to a, um, I, I was diagnosed with PTSD after 9-11, mild case. Really? Yeah. But I was going to an outdoor um, flea market or something after, and somebody dropped something, and it made this huge bang. And wow. I had to leave. I freaked out. I had to go home. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, that's that's part of it. You, you know, this this constant vigilance. Um, you know, I think the analogy they use is like, you keep your foot on the gas pedal without ever letting it up. Mm. And and if you do that sooner or later, your engine's going to start to burn out. So something that comes from PTSD is stress-based disorder. So people who have PTSD often develop like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, 
clinical depression, colitis. Does that make it psychological illnesses, though? Like, if well, you get fibromyalgia from PTSD, I mean, isn't that primarily a function of your brain uh, causing physical you know, discomfort that you're not in control of? I mean, I mean, I think that the line between a physical reaction and a mental reaction is sort of an artificial one. Yeah, a doctor once said to me, I brought this very thing up, and he, he said that, you know, isn't your brain part of your body? Yeah. So it's all physical, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Um, so, you know, in addition to, like, depression, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, a lot of people go on with PTSD to develop an addiction, right? But like you said, and this is something that I thought about after, you know, you know, five or six years running around in the streets of the Bronx getting shot at and mugged, you know, had guns waved in my face. Like, I developed PTSD from addiction, mm. from being in addiction, yeah. and from the stuff that I did while I was in addiction. I think I had PTSD from things that happened to me in recovery because I was in the system. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's interesting. That time I spent, you know, being watched urinating but treated like a criminal in these outpatients going to the probation courts i mean i still think about that stuff well and and that was your experience and not to minimize it but no minimize rel- it. Go ahead. Re- relatively mild compared to people who have drug problems and are incarcerated for them and then have to go through the trauma of being in prison yeah you know that is that is developing terrible. ptsd from that so how do you begin to unwind ptsd i mean the new frontier is they're looking at psychedelic medications, right? Yeah, um, Grateful Dead shows in uh, acid is the new Listen, treatment. you could do worse for, for <laughs> treat, treatment of mental health disorders, although I've seen plenty of people who have spun a little too far out and are now floating somewhere. <laughs> the, well, there's like the guy that did a backflip off of the uh, top balcony um, yeah. that we read about, yeah. so that's not a good way to deal with it. Um, but the, the thinking is like the, the, the best way to reverse PTSD is with um, loving and supportive relationships and helping people reestablish community with other people. Um, so they trust other people again? Yeah. They, so they can count on like when you're in a community like, um, like the monster community and you can say almost anything and receive love and support instead of judgment – I think those kinds of scenarios, and that's why I think the group setting is pushed so hard. Like, um, in, you know, when you're in an outpatient, they want you, you have to go into this group therapy because mm-hmm. you're seeing, you're supposed to see empathy. You know, I found myself in abusive groups uh, that right. that were terrible, but yeah, I think that that's, um, that's definitely true. You have a great group that definitely, um, you know, something to strive for when you're trying to recover. It is. Um but, you know, like any, like any sort of medical, well, and that's, that's part of the problem, right? Is this medical treatment? Is the medical model an appropriate model to apply to treatment for this? Um, you know, because, you know, what are, AA claims that alcoholism is a medical disease and, you know, and an allergy, there are really. issues with the disease model, right? I mean, cause yeah. I would argue that addiction and mental health are more cultural and social problems rather than they are medical problems. Uh, and that the disease model is a is a problem. That's interesting. It, I mean, it lets society off the hook, right? It puts the onus on the individual rather than on the system that created the problem which led to the PTSD in the first place. For example, you know, I don't know who it was who uh, I was reading, a, maybe it was Evan Haynes or some other book that um, 
No, it's Dr. Gabor Mate, who said he never encountered a, a woman uh, with um, a, a substance abuse problem who hadn't been sexually molested as a child. So, yeah. So, uh, and if you could somehow eliminate all the abuse of children, whether it be sexual or physical in nature, that you could shrink the DSM five down to the size of a pamphlet within like a year. Yeah, that was a really right? interesting point. And yeah. so, is that? Does, does that sort of lead you to think uh, that addiction is more a disease or more of a social problem? Because it's easy to take you as an individual and put you in a chair and say, you, you fucked up, you're, you're doing all these drugs, you're bad, you need to stop that behavior. Take responsibility for it. Because you can't go to society at large and say, we need to address the issue that there's all these kids being abused. Right, but... You know? What can you do? Like once you're in it and look, when I was in the worst part of my uh, addiction, um, it made sense to me that I was out of control at this point, that my body, just like that rat in rat park where your brain is in survival mode. Yes. You're not in control. So maybe at that point, this is a mental disease. You know, it is out of your control and you have to reset it. Well, just because it's out of your control doesn't mean it's a disease well do they i don't know i don't know what what makes it a disease something that's out of your control or you know you can get the diabetes is a disease yes and you can give it to yourself right yes that's true you know that's true does that still count as a disease i don't know sure but why not i mean i just i just think that medicalizing medicalizing um Addiction that results from trauma, and I would argue the bulk of addiction results from trauma. It sort of lets society off the hook. Maybe, yeah. And and you know, it, it says that well, we don't need to do systemic social changes. We don't need to have a paradigm shift to get to the root of the problem. What we need to do is just take individuals and treat them one by one. You know, which I think is it's really ineffective. Well, right. But the problem with thinking that large, and that's what Evan Haynes's book kind of does. It's trying to say, you know, let, let's look at this, the big problem, but that doesn't help a person that is right in it right now. And sometimes you are right. the disease model, whether it's a hundred percent accurate or not, it, it gives us uh, a, a way forward. You say, okay, you've got this disease. That means this insurance maybe will cover it. Mm-hmm. This means there's these medications you can now get. Um, the downside is it medicalizes treatment, which is one of the things Evan talks about in his book, uh, about how that's a bad thing. Like, right. look at what doctors have done over the yeah, past you mean, know, 100 years. We used to think that lo- the lo- lobotomy was it was a legitimate treatment right. for mental illness. And he makes a great, you know, you know he lays that out. But I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think you're right in, yeah. the, in the sense that um, at some point you do need to treat addiction in a medical context because you can treat the trauma just but but that's not necessarily going to stop alcohol and drug use you can even if you treat the underlying trauma but because addiction persists right um the subject has hijacked the reward system i mean with when it comes to like opiates it basically multiplies the number of receptors and basically changes your biochemistry um you develop enduring tolerance uh withdrawal i mean that certainly has to be treated in a medical context right yeah, I think so. But and, I don't know if that necessarily means that the disease model of addiction is 
equally as valid. Well, I, I think that, you know, for me, it was a little bit empowering. And it was funny to watch this. When I first went to this one rehab, they were driving it home that you have a disease. Not only that, they had this brain scientist doctor mm-hmm. uh, who would come and explain to us with brain scans. Like, this. see this? This is a this disease. This is your brain on drugs. This is, essentially. <laughs> and I thought it was very interesting. And just really driving home, uh, we should get that guy on the show. I wish I could remember his name. Um, I'll think of it. And that's his main, and he didn't work there. He just wanted to educate uh, people's parents uh, and families. So his sole it. role was to come in and and explain why this was a disease. Yeah, well, he was a research scientist okay. and, and running these studies. This is his main thing. And as part of his you know, work, he was coming in there to give these uh, talks to families of people who were at the rehab because he felt like he had discovered all of this evidence about how this is so clearly a brain disease. Right. And he had all this cutting-edge research. And um, I remember my parents sat through it, and uh, and afterwards um, they were resistant to this idea that you know this is a disease. I remember sitting in family groups, and the you know the person leading it, you know, this is while I was in rehab. They'd have the parents come, and and your wife sit in this group, and you do processing, right? Uh, and uh, most of the parents didn't want to hear that this is a disease. They want to hear that you know. You know, Nat knows he did wrong. Yeah. And now he's going to fix it. But me that's saying... The mor- that's a moral dimension. Right. They go straight to moral. They weren't, you know, instead of... I would say, no, guys, didn't you just see that, you know, that um, about the brain disease? I'm like, I can't control myself. And you want to hide behind that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but that's not... But the truth, I think, yeah. lies somewhere in it's between. squishy, isn't it? It's very I think, squishy. I think it lies somewhere in between. I think... What what I've I'm starting to understand better after doing all this the talks that we do the research mm. we do the reading is that it is a whole not only is it a holistic uh, treatment model that we should be looking for that you have to treat the individual and that that's what makes it so difficult because like we always say for each person there is something different you know you so t- to find the common thread that we can treat is the hardest part. But there is certain, there are certain commonalities of experience among people who suffer from a, a substance abuse disorder. Name right? one. Well, I can name that 65% of them also suffer from PTSD. So there's a commonality. So how do we treat the PTSD? Maybe that's the place to start. Uh, okay. How do Because I suffer PTSD. I haven't been officially diagnosed, but I have a bunch of these symptoms. I'm always thinking, how can I get rid of this? How can I stop these intrusive thoughts? Most of my PTSD is processed from my car accidents that mm. I've gotten into. I can't drive, you know, more than five minutes without, <gasps> I do that. Really? I, I physically react even if nothing has happened because my brain sees my car flipping upside down or head-on collision and I react physically uh, especially when I'm trying to make a left turn, you know, and like, what do I do about that? Well, if I were a uh, psychologist or a psychiatrist, I would recommend fifty one fifty. I'd recommend uh, psychotherapy, uh, and it's a certain type of cognitive behavioral therapy, like called cognitive processing therapy. And the goal of that is to teach you or the person with PTSD how to evaluate and change the thoughts that you have in the wake of the trauma. So, um, 
when you change your thought pattern, you can change the way you feel. And if you change the way you feel, then you change the way you react. Uh, so if you've experienced a traumatic event, you can change the way that you think or see the world. Now, how you do that is a little beyond the, 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 the purview of this podcast. I mean, you would, I would encourage anybody who's suffering from PTSD to reach out to a, find a therapist. Um, you know, basically all kinds of cognitive behavioral therapy are teaching you to take the same set of facts that you're looking at one way and look at them in a different, different light. Mm. Right. So, I mean, and there's processing it in therapy. Yeah. Is that's what's going to do it. I mean, I've been to a lot of therapy, but I never addressed that specifically. So maybe that's where I was. Uh, and then there's different techniques of, yeah, of therapy. There's EMDR, there's trauma recovery model, trauma-informed care, cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure therapy. You know, like I said, those are a little bit beyond what we can get into here. But um, Is EMDR that kind of electronic music that never ends? <laughs> no, it actually stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing theory. Oh. Well, I've been hearing about all of these exciting new, you know, uh, ketamine therapy. I'm like, ah, ah, I could get ketamized. I can go and psilocybin. I get it all the time on my Facebook page. It says, you know, psilocybin therapy. And I used to love mushrooms in high school. That was the fun drug. Yeah, mushrooms were fun. Um, so, I mean, is this my opportunity to like trip out and get better? Well, I mean, if your goal is to trip out, then maybe maybe that's not the therapy for you. But if your hmm. goal is to get better, maybe well, I want to get is. better. How about can I get better and trip out? Sure, why not? So there's, there's <laughs> not basically to, there's two classes of psych, psychedelic drugs. I was reading about this. Um, there are the drugs like MDMA and stuff, which are designed to um, raise the specter of empathy within. The user, so they can. But I have empathy. Like, how would that keep me there, from? There is the. I don't know. Psilocybin, uh, a psychedelic type drugs, where which the goal is to reduce your feeling of separateness from other people. Hmm. So and sort of acknowledge the fact that we are all um, share certain commonalities, right at, at the baseline. Because. Um, Antidepressants and, and SSRIs and that sort of thing have, have not been proven as effective treatments for a lot of people. They work for some people. I'm surprised know. at how many people in recovery are fully... Like, I'm actually... I'm proud of us as a, a recovery movement that for the most part, and sometimes a little too much support, but I'm seeing a lot of... Like, Bridget, Bridget Phetasy is a, is a personality with a lot of followers who came out on Dopey and, and uh, said, you know what? Uh, I know I've been talking abstinence for 10 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, marijuana was, became legal uh, in California. And she said, I smoke half a joint or whatever the right. measurement is every night to go to sleep. Right. And that's okay because she said it helps her. And she's yeah. living a better life because of it. Um, and just people being more open about it. So, so I'm interested. I think you have to be careful with people with substance abuse. Taking a drug which has been historically known as a drug that hippies take at rock concerts. Right. Oh, it gets you know, a bad rap, right? It gets a bad rap, but, you know, I, and I think Dave said this on, on uh, in one of his episodes, that he's afraid that that if he started taking psychedelics for um, to, to treat, you know, mental health conditions, he would take them alcoholically, you know? So 
you know, but, but I, I think that's less of a concern if you're taking them in a, in a situation like you're in, you're in like in a, a in therapist's a office and you're being guided. And so no one's going to like give you a bag of mushrooms and a copy of live dead and has said, see you in a week, you know, yeah. take this and see you in a week. I know? wondered about that. I'm like, because it can't possibly be that clinical if you're buying it off of Facebook and they send you a kit, you know, and they show pictures of it. Is it one of these telemedicine things where, hey, you know, you're on like zoom psychedelic, a zoom trip yeah that sounds like the worst thing in the world it's like you're it's like you're answering questions about you know do you need it's like you know do you feel scared i don't know you look it up what answers do i need to get this what's the one thing you should never do when you're tripping on psychedelics Uh, look in the mirror look in the mirror so if you're on zoom you're seeing your fucking face the entire time Uh, no no thank you um i think it's interesting but can Uh, psilocybin actually help treat ptsd there is there is some statistical evidence that it can Mm. but let me ask you this question are people with addiction issues should they really be the target audience for this kind of treatment because we already feel too much yeah so well if they do we need all this extra feeling I don't know that, that psychedelics would bring. Like it, maybe it's the rest of the public that needs to tune in, turn on, and drop out. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not the, us who already are so like we're basically walking raw nerves yeah. to feel everything. You know, boy. I mean, I'm so torn about this because I I loved tripping. I loved you know doing these kinds of diso- dissociatives, but. Uh, and I want to believe, I want to buy into the marketing, you know, because yeah, I'm a guy too. that loves marketing. But <laughs> when I'm being really honest with myself, um, I don't think it, I think I know that I would just want that, you know, little mind trip. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, didn't I grow up? Am I a little more mature when it comes to these things? Maybe I could. Maybe I would approach it differently. I'm not 16 Maybe anymore. I could just have one drink. Right, just one. Just one. You know, Every so, once in a while, I could have a drink. I don't know. I'm hopeful that some of these things you know, will help some people, but I have to imagine, just like uh, the cannabis craze, some people are just going to get high. I was thinking about cannabis yeah, recently. Yeah. Cannabinoids. Yeah, it was like, well, in light of my conversation with uh, with my friend Tommy, who, you know, as soon as we got off the phone, he then sent me a picture of himself surrounded by his weed plants that he's growing yeah. on his back deck. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, would it be so bad to smoke a little weed every once in a while and play guitar? You know, and I started I started heading down that garden path in my mind. And I and, you know, I then I went to sleep and I woke up and I was like, yeah, I don't think that's for me. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's okay to like ask the question. And if you said to me tomorrow, you said, Nat, listen, um, I think I, I've been reading about high sobriety. You know, <laughs> Joe Shranks, I've been doing research, and I think it's something that would really Does Joe help Shrank me. smoke pot? He does. Um, I don't think, no, he doesn't. He says he's abstinent. Okay. But he believes in it as like a, you know, it doesn't kill you. Yeah. And if it can help, he talked about this last week about, yeah, yeah. you know, could it help uh, opiate you know, withdrawals. I don't know. Maybe if I had uh, marijuana as a um, cannabis as an option, maybe I would have gotten off all this stuff earlier. Maybe today I would just be a stoner listening to the Grateful Dead with my good friend Mike. You know, maybe it should have been there for me. I don't know. I don't know. Like today I don't want it. I'm not that kind of person anymore. I'm just, I'm happy. But it took me a lot of work that maybe I could have avoided. So. Whenever I think about like, man, I'd love to smoke some pot because it makes music sound so much like more full and deep. Mm. I, I think like I go running a lot and I listen to dead shows when I'm running 
and it sounds just as good to me then. And like running to me is like dan- like dancing, right? Yeah. Like because I'm moving my body at the same time, the music's <laughs> going on, and I'm like I'm I'm engaging with the Grateful Dead in probably the health healthiest way any human being ever has. Mm. Like I'm running, I'm, I'm running slash dancing, and I'm listening to this music, and I don't need weed. I'm high as a kite on on regular endorphins when I'm doing that. You know, that's you know? it's interesting you say that about music because I don't listen to music much uh, in the past long time because I feel music so, uh, and this is probably something I need to see a therapist about. (laughs) I feel it so deeply. Yeah. I I hear you. I like if when I hear any kind of music, even, you know, it it gets into me Yes, and, uh, I, it transports me. And a lot of times it like, I'll start tearing up Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't mean it's a sad song, but I don't know. I don't feel like I need to. It doesn't mean that it won't enhance. I have eargasms all the time. Yeah. (laughs) The eargasms. And uh, yeah, so music is already transcendent for me. But that doesn't mean that it it wouldn't help to smoke a joint and listen. Because maybe I would like The Grateful Dead if I just got a little high. (laughs) Or just go running and listen to it. I'll go running and listen to The Grateful Dead. But, you know, it's one of these things. Monsters out there, uh, tell us what you think. Uh, Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. Um, I don't know. So I don't, I don't know. I That's kind of all I got on that. And I don't want to belabor the point because, you know, just the disclaimer, of course, is we're not psychologists. We're not psychiatrists. We're not even trained to do anything except the jobs that we do during the day. So uh, if you find yourself struggling with PTSD or depression or anything else, you know, go see a mental health professional. You know, don't self-medicate with drugs, alcohol, or acid or, my, or magic mushrooms. No, I don't recommend it, guys. And, you know, just keep fighting a good fight and uh, speak to your doctor about, you know. <laughs> but really, I mean. Maybe you, too, could benefit from yeah, ketamine therapy. It bears repeating that, you know, always, you know, err on the side of professional help. It's not the end-all, be-all, but it is a great place to start. And I think with that, you want to move on. I think we have to, we have to cover in the news. Uh, if you get the right, uh, you got to get the right one. What are you talking about? Recovery in the news. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. <laughs> You know, someday, if we ever become famous and this podcast blows up, <laughs> you're going to have to go around. You're going to have to do that live on I'll stage, do it live. But you're going to get so sick of it after, like, the yeah. first next few hundred times. It's going to be like asking like, uh, Don Henley to perform Hotel California yeah. one more time. Or you know? Freebird, like, do recovery yeah. the news. You know, I'm going to be all over the country, all over the world singing that. You're going to be like, ah, fuck these people. <laughs> recovery in the news. I want to do an extended version. I want to re-record the full song. I want to write extra parts. I want to sing harmonies. <laughs> I think that would be great. Um, uh, I'm having trouble hitting that high note, though. My voice is so... In any case, recovery in the news. <laughs> Recovery in the news comes again from uh, Pennsylvania. Last week comes in your ear holes from all the way from Pennsylvania coming into your ear holes Uh, Mm -hmm. from the University of Pennsylvania um, Penn Today uh, website. um, The title of the article is "One Alcoholic a Day Drink with (laughs) Drinked One Alcoholic Drink a Day Mm -hmm. Linked with 
reduced brain size. Wow, it's a mouthful. Yes, the research using a data set of more than 36,000 adults, that's a lot of adults. Many adults. uh, Revealed that going from one to two drinks a day was associated with changes in the brain equivalent to aging two years. And heavier drinking was linked with an even greater toll. Um, This is great. I love this article. Do you know why? Why Because for years I've had to suffer through people waving articles around saying, look, I can drink wine. It's good for me. (laughs) This wine is so good. It's 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 restorable. Right. Uh, But the science is crystal clear. Crystal. Uh, Drinking in the brain do not have a healthy relationship. Mm. Uh, You get. Um, and everybody always knew that heavy drinking was bad, right? Uh, people who drink heavily, they have alterations in their brain structure and size that are associated with cognitive impairments as they get older. But according to this new study, mm-hmm. alcoholic con- consumption, even at levels most would consider modest, a few beers or glasses of wine a week may also carry risks to the brain. May. May. Well, you can't say... Does causes you know? But doesn't I mean, it? I mean, causation it, is very difficult to prove. Haven't we determined scientifically that one drink, you know, every day increases your cancer risk? Yes, that I mean, we, we so that would be associated with an increase in cancer risk. So that sounds detrimental to me. Well, for example, in fifty-year-olds, as average drinking among individuals increases from one alcohol unit which is about half a beer. Do you order a unit? Like, I'll have one unit I'll of alcohol. i have a half unit please. today. Uh, to two units, which is a pint of beer or a glass of wine, there are associated changes in the brain equivalent to aging two years. Going from two to three alcohol units at the same age was like aging three and a half years. Wow. The fact that they had such a large sample size let them find these weird little subtle patterns even between the drinking the equivalent of half a beer and a full beer. Mm. Um so the findings, of course, contrast with the current scientific and governmental guidelines on safe drinking. Now, the National Institute of Alcohol and Abuse and Alcoholism recommends that women consume an average no more than one drink a day, but limits for men are two drinks a day. Mm. But now this study is flying in the face of that and saying two drinks a day will age your brain like three and a half years. Oh, man. I mean, you see that on people's faces. Like, if you have a friend that you know has been drinking nonstop for 40 years, mm-hmm. and you look at your other friend or yourself who has been sober a little while, mm-hmm. um, you see the difference. And I think it's reversible to some extent, but it does age you mm. like uh, significantly. Yeah, it does. And, you know, you can see it when people are actively drunk, right? Like, the repetition, the not being able to string thoughts together, the, yeah. you know, I and, mean, and then people who get drunk and then tell the same story they told the week before. Yeah, it's the worst. You know, uh, that was the first thing when I first tried to like hang out uh, sober in like either bars or at parties, you know, be the sober guy. Mm. First thing I noticed was I don't like football as much as I thought. Yeah. And, right. um, Bars are awful. Why would I want to be here? And mm-hmm. the conversation that used to be when we would go to bars, like, I love you, man. Yeah. And like, we're really bonding. Right. You know, when you're just sitting there actually listening and seeing what's going on, it feels like a waste of time. Yes. It's not interesting. It is a waste of the time. The bands are always terrible. Uh, that whatever bar you're in, if there is a band, and right. if the band isn't terrible, the music is terrible. Yes, I mean, I would much rather, what do we say? I'd much rather go to WWE at Madison Square Garden. Sober. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely check that Highly out. Highly recommend it. 
Um, they didn't. They didn't look at binge drinking. They, there's some evidence that binge drinking is worse for the brain, but they haven't looked closely at it yet. Uh, and they'd also like to. And here's to your point. They'd also like to be able to more definitively pin down causation rather than correlation, which may be possible with new longitudinal biomedical data sets that are following young people as they age. That's interesting. Got to wonder about the ethics of that, but. Yeah, are they encouraging them to drink? Are yeah, they I, like, you're in a study, uh, you're going to have to have another drink, but yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> have another one. You going out tonight? Or, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's recovery in the wow. news. What? Rushing through it this week. I know, we're tired. I'm sorry. An, I think we're right about where we usually are at this point. Yeah, so recovery in the news, and what do we do from there? You tell me. Do you have it queued up? Yes. Weekend weird. Uh, jogger stumbles upon bizarre alien creature on sidewalk in Australia by who? Tim Banal. <laughs> An Australian jogger in a Sydney suburb was left scratching his head when he stumbled upon a truly bizarre creature that has even left wildlife experts stumped. Oh my, wildlife experts. <laughs> The very weird find was reportedly made this past Monday morning in the community of Marrickville when Harry Hayes went for a run following several days of significant rain that had caused flooding in the area. A runner. The normally routine bit of exercise... See all kinds of aliens at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The normally routine bit of exercise took a baffling turn when he looked down at one point during the jog and saw an incredibly strange creature on the pavement at his feet. (laughs) Understandably quite curious about what the oddity might be, the young man stooped down to film the puzzling discovery and even poked at it with a stick. (laughs) Though that did not seem to have any effect on the oddity, which he said measured about an inch and a half long. An inch and a half long? Just like like our mermaid. mermaid. (laughs) What's this thing, like a turd? (laughs) After posting... Video of the critter, uh, which you can find in our show notes on social media. Hayes' footage quickly went viral with astounded viewers offering a variety of theories as to the nature of the peculiar find. Among the suggestions put forward by observers is that Hayes had come across the embryo or an organ of a yet-to-be-identified animal. That's my vote. Or perhaps the oddity might have been merely an alien-looking rock. Remarkably, a biologist who saw the young man's footage said that she had shared it with several colleagues, and they were all equally stumped by the strange specimen. For his part, Hayes mused that, My gut says it's some kind of embryo, Um, but joked that, with COVID, World War Free and the floods. I can't do it. I can't do it, Australia. <laughs> what kind of accent is that? I don't know. You sound know. like I, you're from like the north of England. I know. I suck. Uh, he couldn't rule out the possibility that the creature came from out of this world. With that in mind, what's your best guess for what the young man discovered? Write us at Mike R at Middle Ages Recovery. Nobody ever writes me. MiddleAgesRecovery.com yeah. and let us know what you think it is. And that is a very weak Weak and weird. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't weak. I don't know. I wanted to. You wanted to jazz it up? Or, yeah. yeah. Well, that about does it for today, folks. I know I had a great time. Did you? It was ducky. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts. 
Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at twat, you twit. Support your favorite show. Please, guys, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify. They take reviews now. You know, we got T-shirts left. You can buy it through the website. Um, or just say hello. We love meeting new monsters and chopping it up in the Facebook group. Um, uh, join our inner sanctum at patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And where we hang out, you get... Uh, we're doing another video episode. I think this week we'll have a new video episode. <laughs> okay. Um, so stay tuned for that. There's a few up there already. And you get uh, bonus merch right now. If you are a member of the Inner Sanctum for three months, we mail you uh, a couple of the top two tiers. Get these cool mugs that were designed by my 11-year-old or a sticker. <laughs> Uh, and finally, the best way... How do we get a mug? I don't know. I can't. I want one. I think we have to sign up for our own Patreon Jesus. to do it. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection, folks. See you next time. Be good. Be good.